I rolled a 10. A 10? I don't think anyone's ever rolled a 10. I don't think so either. Andy, you're supposed to pick one from above. Oh, so man. You just you just pick a number. I have, to, I have to pick one from above. All right. This is the rare moment where you actually, we have ceded control over to the player to make his own destiny. All right. Okay. Uh, Chris and listeners, I am perusing the D10 table of topics, looking for uh-huh. one to talk about. This is good. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I'm t- tempted to roll again because I enjoy... <laughs> you enjoy the challenge of it being random. Well, yes. I mean, you can you can literally do whatever you want. You, the, you know, the power is all mine. It, I am the dungeon master. Yes. Uh, okay, <laughs> I am going to roll again. Okay. Uh, because I don't want anyone in the listening audience able to accuse us of, like cherry picking yeah. topics that okay yeah just okay. before you roll though before you roll i just want you to know if you roll another 10 we have to talk about every topic on the table <laughs> okay <laughs> there's like some sort of a blitz around like you have yeah. 30 seconds to okay i'm <laughs> okay. gonna stop all right here we go here it comes oh it actually lingered on the 10 but then okay. it tipped over to the eight okay which is whoa this is the most recently updated topic Oh, Um, yeah. How do you handle death? How do you handle character death in your games? Ooh. Hello, and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about topics related to running role-playing games. I'm Chris Salzman. And I'm Andy Rao. And it's just us today, folks. I want to start today by asking you, Andy, um, I think a question that we've chatted about a little bit, kind of off-air, but... I'm wondering what your favorite, like, kind of trashy fantasy novel is. Like, if you think back to, like, a D&D tie-in novel or something by Moorcock, something like that. Like, what, what's your favorite, like, go-to? I'm going to pick this up and, like, I know it's familiar, it's comfortable, and this is just going to be a fun time. Oh, that's a great question. And I should note already that in any discussion of, of quote, trashy fantasy, we're bound to insult uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, so whatever yeah. I say is going to be someone's yeah. beloved favorite author. So I, what I want to say is mm-hmm. Michael Moorcock, Elric, Conan, that sort of style, that pulp style fantasy. But if I'm honest with myself, my comfortable, like the fantasy novel when no one is looking that I will like, you know, close the door <laughs> to my room and pull off the bookshelf. I, I have a real soft spot in my heart. For cheesy, like, 70s and 80s Tolkien knockoff fantasy, where, like, the hero is, like, a farm boy whose village is burned down by orcs. And, like, it's not orcs. It's, like, it's another word that's, (laughs) like, suggestive of the word orc that the author came up with. He's burned down in chapter two, and then it turns out that Mm -hmm. there was a prophecy about him the whole time. And um, I can't say that I read very much of that uh, and haven't for many years, but... In my heart of hearts, that's what mm-hmm. I grew up reading, yeah. like in the 80s. Uh, I wish I had grown up reading Michael Moorcock and Robert Howard and uh, yeah. things like that, but I didn't. You, just, um, you have like no no street cred at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And, you know, actually, like the D&D I was playing in the 80s, you know, had a lot of the the like visual tropes mm-hmm. of that kind of fantasy. Like, you know what I'm talking about when I say like 1980s <laughs> yes. fantasy novel yeah. paperback covers, right? It's it's all all of them drawn by that like like l what is this well, who is that prolific oh, tsr era <laughs> okay yeah. elmore uh, elmore he he painted or drew every mm-hmm. D like yeah. 
cover of anything from the years like 1981 yeah. to 1992. Anyway, okay, so yeah, kind of cheesy fantasy. And by like the ultimate example, that would be something like um, uh, who does the, the, the Shannara oh, books? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Terry Brooks, for example. Maybe to a lesser extent, like Stephen Donaldson. Mm. With the Lord Fowl's Bane. Oh my goodness, yeah. I haven't stuff. read those in forever. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I embarked on a reread of those uh, over the last maybe a year mm-hmm. or two. And uh, yeah, I wish I had never done that. It's, uh, <laughs> never I, done the reread or the I, original read? <laughs> I, both of, all yeah. of the above. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, Chris, well, and now that I've humiliated myself <laughs> by confessing my love for like the lowest form of of fantasy literature you could possibly yeah. uh so to those of you who are hoping out to hear names like ursula Le Guin come out of my mouth i'm very yeah. very yeah. sorry well i just it's much worse than that <laughs> i always go back and just read you know shakespeare you know those sorts of things just to kind of cleanse my palate yeah. from <laughs> yes. no, yeah. uh, I, i've been oh, i've uh, been rereading elric <laughs> elric lately which is what oh, what has drawn this to mind yeah so i just finished up um elric and the sailor on the seas of fate i think is the full title of it and it's yeah. just it's glorious it's just it's such it's like it's very competently written right it's just kind of a series of really good ideas and Moorcock definitely had sort of his his pattern down to how he he writes novels and, and stories and stuff like that um, but yeah there's something about it that's very comforting just where you know Elric is going to go in and probably kill a bunch of people he he shouldn't and be very tortured about it <laughs> and, yeah, yeah and probably save someone and you know not save someone else and those sorts of things. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. Like, uh, I really enjoy reading those every now and again. And I think especially just with everything that's going on in the world too. It's, it's nice to have something comforting to go back to. Um, the other series that I will pick up, uh, every once in a while and go back to, and I don't, I don't think I would call it trashy cause I think they're actually well-written, which probably means they're probably trashy, but <laughs> the, <laughs> the yeah. red wall, I'm, I'm getting ready to yes. yeah. derision when you say yeah. what it is, uh, the red wall series. So I grew up reading, reading oh. those, um, like just over and over and over. I think I read the original red wall book at least a dozen times, if not more, uh, before I was 18. So, <laughs> and then who knows how many after that. Um, but like, those are the, those books are really fun, just really magical. And once you have read three of them, you've kind of just, you just keep reading the same book over and over <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. with some names swapped out here and there. Right. And that's yeah. fine. Right. They're not written for adults. Like they're, you know, they have, have their target audience and stuff, but yeah. So Red Ball is one that I'll go back to. And I think they're, uh, it's very much like a, Young orphan, right, rising to greatness, that sort of story, which of course appeals yeah. to you know kids as well as adults. He's like, wouldn't it be nice if you did have some sort of great and higher purpose <laughs> to your life? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. In a few minutes, Chris and I will both be sobbing yes. here the, for the duration of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, uh, I tried reading one of the first Red mm-hmm. Ball book um, many years ago with my daughter, and I decided at the time that. She was a little too young Ooh. for it. Not that the content was inappropriate, but she was a little young and just not tracking somewhat complicated yeah. stories all that well. But it has occurred to me, you know, on a periodic basis that I really got to haul that out and recommend it to her again to see if it, yeah. if it's a better fit for her. Yeah. Now. So what, what age is like the perfect age to read those? Redwall was recommended to me when I was in fourth grade, fourth or fifth grade. I think we went to a bookstore out in Boston and like the, the bookstore owner just took probably like a half an hour and just like 
got to know me a little bit and made this recommendation to read this book. I don't know if like she just recommended it everybody or what. <laughs> yeah, but she gave it to me and like it just like something about it clicked um, immediately. It was sort of like the first oh, big like big at the time. You know, it's like a three hundred page book. You know, <laughs> double spaced. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the first book like that that just really connected. Now, did you go in and read like all thirty oh, or whatever? Red yeah, novels? like I think I was reading them as he was publishing them. Maybe a little bit, right? So, like, I had read just everything that there was at one point. And then I gave away my collection of, there was probably 10 or 15 of those books. I gave them to my sister, who was a librarian at the time. So, she put them out on the, the library bookshelves. And I'm sure they've gotten torn up and are gone. But <laughs> maybe I'll go back and, and like, steal yeah. them from that library. <laughs> I'm honestly surprised that some megacorp, you know, dystopian megacorp has not picked up the movie <laughs> miniseries yeah. rights to that uh, at this yeah. point. I, there's like a dwindling number of fantasy franchises yeah. uh, left to be yeah. booked. Disney, <laughs> yeah. are you listening? Disney probably has tried. Yeah, there was a there was a PBS show which was actually pretty <laughs> delightful. Um, the the author I think huh. retained. Yeah, I did not know that. Uh, like animated. Yeah, or... they they animated a little bit. Like the animation wasn't fantastic, but they. They tried to retell the story, um, I think, kind of like page by page. And then wow. the author, he did an audio book with, I think, it sounded like it was just a bunch of his friends. So they each kind of took a character and they, there's songs and stuff throughout the book and they would sing the songs and, and stuff like that. But yeah, it's it's a really just kind of delightful series. There's also um, a number of really terrible video games that were made off of Redwall. <laughs> really? Yeah. What, uh, what genre of video game are we talking about? Um, the most recent one was like a 3D platformer or something. Uh-huh. And like I watched okay. a trailer for it and it just was kind of cringy. I'm sure it's fine, okay. but it just was, you know, not for me. Not what not what I imagined in my head, right? You know, it's, it's always better in your head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. I I would not have uh, I would not have guessed that. I don't know what I would have uh, guessed. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask real quick about Moorcock, um, mm-hmm. and I I share your love for the Elric stories. Do you love those stories because Elric is such a great character, um, or do you love them? Do you love everything that Moorcock writes with equal oh. intensity? Um, I love Elric because he's just such like he's the the prototypical edge lord, right? Like yeah. yeah, he's just like such a man of his own creation. <laughs> Like, yeah. yeah, so he's he's awful, and you'd never want to hang out with him. But it's fun, sort of reading about his his trials and tribulations, right? Because everything yeah. he just feels so strongly, and like, I mean, he's basically yeah. a teenager, right? Yeah, yeah. See, uh, my version—I feel like such a fraud. Like my version of Elric growing up, yeah. you know, that my teenage mind fastened on was onto was um, was the Edge Lord Wizard from the Dragonlance stories, okay. um, Raslin. Yeah, <laughs> uh, who is like, you know, he. He like wears a black robe. He like doesn't like people. He's like rude to other people in the party. Yeah, but he's actually like super powerful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no one no one understands him, and he's like weighed down by his own secret grief and mm-hmm. and awesomeness and stuff like yeah. that. So I didn't realize growing up that that is a that he is a sad reflection of much better antiheroes in fantasy literature, yeah. like El- Elric being the ultimate one, but also like Conan is a good antihero mm-hmm. and. Yeah. Oh yes, the sorts of men who just really should go to therapy a little bit, and it'd probably yeah. be okay. <laughs> stop, yeah, well, stop talking to their swords, right? You know, there's something about those characters—characters characters that kind of call back to mythological characters like Odysseus, mm-hmm. who are not good people. I mean, they're not evil, but they're not good people. They—you wouldn't like them, probably. 
they might be fun to hang out with at a party, but you would not get anything out of a like relationship with them. <laughs> yeah. And they kind of move into town and wreck everything and move on. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it's what Elric does. It's what Odysseus does as he travels around the ancient world. Uh, it's what Conan does. You know, these sort of forces of nature. And yeah, and yeah Elric, Elric as a character does capture that pretty well, I think. Yeah. It's like an emotional power fantasy, right? So there's like a, a power fantasy of you go in and destroy everything because you're so mighty and strong. But like Elric goes yeah. in and destroys everything because he's just so whiny. <laughs> so whiny he can't like he can't connect with his his actual emotions other than like this seething rage about something (laughs) (laughs) that's right the burden of being him yeah being just so hard to be awesome yeah yeah. (laughs) Um, all right well uh shall we shall we awkwardly uh, transition (laughs) to the topic of uh this episode i think it was pretty smooth but yeah let's go that's a good edgelordy topic yeah Uh, death yes Uh, yeah (laughs) yeah um so when before we get too far into this, so I, I need to confess that I have never actually killed a player's character off in a game before. Okay. So I'm actually pretty interested to, to talk about this. So I think when we were when we were discussing this topic in particular, we were kind of had like a couple different ways of approaching it. You know, so one I think it's just the standard like, well, you know, how do you work through killing a character um, and all that? But then I think there's also like this subset of the question, which is you know, how do you make it interesting or what are different ways to handle it? Uh, you know, in the course of my game mastering, I have had a good number of PCs die. Mm-hmm. As a game master, I have never really sat down with a player in advance of the character's death <laughs> to like talk through how it was going to work. That's that's kind of a new thing to me. Yeah. As a player, I have had that experience, though, of sitting down with my GM when it became clear my character, you know, was doomed for various reasons. Uh, to talk about how I wanted that to play out. And um, that was interesting. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's just by way of where I come from. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the death, the character deaths that have happened in my games have been just, you know, bad rolling. I have not planned, charted out a character death. I haven't started a session going, you know, it would be best for the story mm-hmm. if so such and such a character died. But I have had quite a few characters just die to uh, bad and unlucky rolls. So yeah. that's where I come from. What has happened, like, when that has happened because of unlucky rolls, you know, someone dies like that, what's the reaction been in general? All over the place. So I have never had anybody, except for a couple of times, like, in my foolish youth, when everyone playing was, like, a (laughs) 13-year-old. I haven't had anyone get, like, upset about it. Uh Um, I think surprise is usually... Surprise is usually the reaction I see. Hmm. Because... I don't run games that result in death very often. And I think if you were playing in one of my games, you could erroneously take from that this idea that like you're probably never going to die. Um, and then when it happens, and I I do try not to, you know, fudge rolls when it's a matter of like a character's life or death, I try not to I try not to fudge rolls to manipulate it one way or the other. Yeah. And so I think it does it is kind of a surprise to everyone at the table. Um, and it often is the case where, like, oh, it hits, it does 14 points of damage. Oh, whoa, I only had eight hit points left. And then there's this, you know, that moment at the table. <laughs> oh, oh, well, I guess guess you're dead then. <laughs> I've played in some horror games where death is a little bit different because it's part of the genre mm-hmm. where the reaction to the character death was kind of amusement or entertainment if, if they died as in a gruesome way that was appropriate to the horror scenario. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I'm just kind of babbling here. Reactions all over the place. But 
I will say uh, there's a lot of uh, this. You see this topic like touched on in the context of modern day, like um, like critical role. I don't. I hope I'm not spoiling anything for anyone. I think what, critical role or one of those shows in the last couple of months had like a character, a beloved character die. Oh. And there were lots of emotional reactions and things like that. And that felt a little bit, I guess I could understand in the abstract why people were really invested in a character mm-hmm. that much, but it isn't something that I've experienced or especially want to seek out, but okay. I find it kind of interesting. Yeah. I think with, with shows like that and probably with any, any sort of character that you're playing, the reaction is more like how much time you've spent with them. I think like time you spent with that character so like I'm thinking about this and it's a little bit abstract, of course, you know, for me, but like thinking about it, it's like, there's this investment to like start a character, right? Like, so you have to come up with the concept and roll the character and fill out the character sheet and stuff. Right. So there's just like a pure amount of time that you put into to get that character going. And then like the longer that you sit with them and the longer that you get to know them and those sorts of things, I think the harder it would be to sort of say goodbye. Right. It's very similar to other relationships in real life right like so you you know you have to say goodbye so i think like what seems like an outsized reaction is to be just like oh i've spent a hundred hours 200 hours listening to this character kind of getting to know them and they're like now they're just gone like how how did that happen right i thought this was a game this is supposed to be fun (laughs) that's sort of the reaction to it but at the same time like what makes it so interesting to follow those characters is the fact that it could go away at any time Right, like, yeah. is the fact that you're telling a story. If you remove death from the table completely, then you lose something about like the like the life of the character as well. As a game master, it's because I have most like ninety eight percent game mastered and two percent played. I hope that added up to a hundred percent. I think so. I'm yeah, not gonna. Yeah. I'm not gonna think about it. Yeah. I feel like I might have an attitude towards character death that is different from the player characters. As a GM, like I'm. You know, I'm investing my time and my energy in the game as a whole. Mm-hmm. I don't have like this single focus point of like one character that is the main, my main interface uh, between me and this world and the sort of anchor point that, that grounds me in the world that we're experiencing. And so for me, when a, for a game master in my situation, you know, when a character dies, it's like a bummer. It might, it will in fact affect the story and stuff like that. But you know, the game goes on because in my mind, we're all committed to the game. We're not committed necessarily to these characters, but I can certainly see from the player perspective, um, having your soul interface with the game world yeah. be taken away after all of the time you've spent role playing. That would be a big deal. So, yeah. Do you offer, and I'm going to, Gonna cross the streams a little bit, right? So we we chatted about this recently on Discord, and Murph, a former guest, had mentioned that he will often allow like resurrection to happen in his games, but it's more along the lines of like, oh, like resurrection, you might not come back exactly how you were, right? So mm-hmm. like, I think the example he gave was like if you you die in a certain town or like a certain level of the dungeon or something. And everybody there is like a mechanical construct, right? Like they might know how to resurrect you, but like you're going to resurrect inside of a robot, you know, like you're going to be a cyborg from here on out, (laughs) something like that. Um, Yeah. So I guess the, I find that like really compelling (laughs) first of all. Right. And that just makes it a lot more interesting the thought of resurrecting someone, but like, do you ever offer that to players? Like, do you ever offer like, Hey, you died, but don't worry. Like we're going to have this whole side quest or like we can have this side quest if you want. That is such a cool way. I have to interrupt. You mentioned uh, coming back as a cyborg. Yeah. I'm sorry to always be 
pulling out these tales from my childhood. <laughs> uh, I ruined a game of Top Secret. Okay. Uh, when one some one hot summer afternoon, and when we were all age fourteen, and uh, one of my players' characters was uh, was killed in like you know his whatever his Dodge Viper exploded <laughs> while hurtling off the Grand Canyon or something. The coolest car. Uh, Yes, it was a cool death. Anyway, he died, and I had like recently purchased this source book on like introducing like cyber cybernetic like enhancements mm-hmm. to characters in Top Secret. So he did come back as a cyborg, Ooh. but he came back like any cyborg character designed by fourteen year old. He came back, you know, with like so insanely overpowered that yes. it just completely wrecked, just better and stronger wrecked than before. So I have like. I have bad flashbacks when you said, come back as a cyborg. Okay. <laughs> anyway, you were asking, so I love the intentionality of like thinking through ways to make death meaningful and, and interesting. You know, I love that idea. I will say like, I don't, as a game master, I have not offered something like that to players. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of just a personal quirk of mine. In the D&D games I run, I tend not to have resurrection, raise dead spells be really a commonplace thing. Uh, it feels like one of those things. If if I think about it too much, then nothing would make sense <laughs> yes. anymore. Yeah. Like, so the whole magic system just falls apart if you start thinking about exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, why would I do anything if? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <But> <laughs> so. Uh, I will say, I played in a game, uh, a Dark Sun game, where my character died, though. And from the perspective of a player, I did have a great conversation with the GM. And I was, you know, I was somewhat bummed that my character died. I was also excited for, like, an excuse to start up a new character. So I wasn't broken mm-hmm. brokenhearted. But, um, and he didn't want, he also didn't want my character just to be able to come back easily. But, it, like, he did want to give my character an opportunity to come back because it was kind of a cool character. And we had some plot lines that had been cut short by his untimely death. Mm-hmm. So I switched to a new character. We played for a while. And then at some point, um, you know, the party ended up going back down into the underworld to, like, Greek mythology style. Yeah you know, to bring my character back from the underworld. And I thought that was neat. Like, you obviously can't do that. Every time a character dies, you can't introduce a whole side campaign of, you know, going into the afterlife and bringing that character back. But in this case, it made sense. It, It actually reinforced kind of the gravity of death because it was such a big deal. Mm -hmm. took so much work to overcome the obstacle of death it did reinforce like the seriousness of it. And mm-hmm. I thought it worked pretty well. Hmm. Like it's not something I, you can recommend. You can't just casually recommend to uh, any group. And it's certainly not, not groups that are playing in non fantasy genres. You can't just casually throw out re- resurrection as, you know, an option that will always work. But yeah. I do think with some thought, and if you can tailor it to like the plot line that's already going on, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I think that there's a lot of potential. I mean, it's it's a great story hook if you haven't already done it. It's a great story hook at least once mm-hmm. to let your players get together and try and figure out how to restore a fallen compatriot, right? It seems like the sort of thing you could do once with a set of set of players yep. before it's like, oh, we're going to do that again. <laughs> like, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's sort of odd because like there's... You have all these mechanics about like stuff that you can do and things, and then it's like you, your character dies, and then it's like, okay, now what? Right? <laughs> like, yeah. So yeah. I guess when you have a, a a character die and like a player 
makes a new character, I guess, how do you get them, get that character into the story, right? Do they just kind of start with, you know, the same level or, you know, same equipment or things like that? Or do they start at level one? So like when you've had, had people re-roll a character, what have you done there? What I've done is, is I've had them join the campaign at the level that the rest of the party mm-hmm. is already or, or somewhere close to it. Yeah. If you're playing a D&D type game, there is typically no shortage of opportunities to introduce new scoundrel, <laughs> introduce new weirdo adventurers into mm-hmm. their ranks, right? Yeah. There's the proverbial inn that is always full of, you know, adventurers drinking quietly in the corner, ready to join your party. If you're going through a dungeon, um, are there prison cells in the dungeon? Yeah. You know, in <laughs> one of those prison cells, is there a level four wizard that will be great? That will join your party when you free him? You know that. Yeah. So I know that in if you're playing like old school D&D, you would find value in having a player create a new character, start at level one and join the existing party and and then embrace the challenges that come mm-hmm. with that. The rewards being that you will get access to a lot of experience and loot that you normally wouldn't at level one. But the risk is that you're you're wading into the fray with with high level combatants. Right. Yeah, I, I could. That's something I totally see in abstract. I see how fun that could be. But in practice, I have always said, oh, yeah, you were level four. Just roll up by level four or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to imagine, like, convincing the rest of the party to go, like, hunt rats or something for a couple <laughs> yes. hours just so you can level up <laughs> yes. or, like, <laughs> like, huddle around this one character so they can get experience. Somehow, it seems a little bit against the spirit of the game, whereas just just start at level four is, is fine. <laughs> yeah. it's a, I mean, it's not a realism thing. It's just an expedience mm-hmm. yeah. um, for the sake of the game thing. Yeah. Um, what about like other, so like, like D&D, Pathfinder, like we kind of know how those those games handle death. Um, like what about some other other games that you've heard about? You know, there are other games you've played. How do, how do they handle death? So I think the, the one that comes to mind that I've heard heard about but haven't played is the Phoenix Dawn Command game where you, okay, yep. you essentially get like seven lives, right? And part of your character advancement is, is kind of situated around you dying. Right, so yeah. you die and then you come back and and have have something else there, uh, which I find that to be like kind of interesting. It's like okay, so now now death is more like this this uh, expendable resource that you have <laughs> that you have to yeah. have to think about how you're going to use it. Um, and then the other thing that I've thought about a lot is uh, is funnels. So you know, you take like four level zero characters mm-hmm. essentially, and then just sort of see who survives. You know, through a funnel. Yeah. That is compelling to me because it's like, well, then you're treating it very much as like a survival of the fittest sort of thing. So whoever emerges from that, um, mm-hmm. then uh, is is the the character you're going to play. But I think that also would free you up a little bit from overthinking sort of your initial character. Um, when yeah. what's interesting about a character is how you play it, not necessarily how you make it. So. I've played in a number of like of those funnel type adventures with uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics is the RPG that they're usually associated with, although you can take the concept and put mm-hmm. it into any game. I, Yeah, it is. If you haven't played a funnel, it really is freeing in a lot of ways. It frees you of it frees you of the burden of like investing a ton into a character mm-hmm. and you get to know your character as they survive through the actions that they take to survive you know what i mean rather than starting them out with a set personality and outlook and set of behaviors that you've thought through carefully Mm -hmm. instead of deciding those in advance you learn what those are Mm -hmm. in the course of your character 
um, just doing what they can to survive. So I think that is a great, I mean, you're right that that is an interesting, different way to approach just the whole question of character death. And in that, and in that nobody, nobody cries when, you know, you, you're several of your zero level funnel characters uh, fight the dust because that's part of the fun, right? Yeah. Like it actually might even add, add to the spirit of the game to have uh, heavy losses. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I can't think of too many other games. I would love to read more. I don't know anything about Phoenix Dawn Command, but that sounds super interesting because I usually am. I'm replaying uh, Dark Souls 2 on oh, yeah, the, nice. um, like the video game oh, okay. at the moment. And and every time I play these games, the mechanics of death are so compelling. Every single time I play those, I always think, how could I possibly take this like approach to, to character death and bring it into like a D&D game. And mm-hmm. my answer is always there's no way, I just can't. <laughs> but um it sounds like Phoenix Dawn Command, if you have a if you have multiple deaths to lose, that sounds like kind of you're getting towards that video game idea of like, you know, if Mario has 3 deaths, those are that's just a form of resource management, you know, in a way. And I yeah. I love the idea of it. it. It's hard for me to see how that would work in a role-playing game, especially a role-playing game that is trying to like be somewhat realistic within the mm-hmm. constraints of its setting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm super interested. Yeah, I think like, to, to hear more about it. Yeah, like realism is is a word that probably should have come up earlier <laughs> in this conversation. Yeah, is like yeah the the thought of like death in a mechanical like game, right? It's sort of like. Well, like why, right? <laughs> you know, like you're you're trying to get at some sort of realism in a game that also has magic, or in a game that you know has cool cars and coming back as a cyborg. You know, like you're you're yeah. adding this this like very realistic thing that like really drives a lot of our decision making day to day, right? Like not to get too morbid, but right, like there's lots of death and like we're confronted with it all the time and yeah probably most of the time we're trying to not think about it (laughs) but then we come to the table and it's like this major part of what we do is thinking about death and survival and in those sorts of things yeah so i mean it, it almost makes me wonder it's like so like what would a game look like that just didn't have have player death like what if they're just they're just kind of like wasn't that would that be interesting yeah. at all? Like, what if you, like your character really had no consequences other than like a loss of time? Uh, I don't know. I mean, that would be that would be interesting. Like when you mentioned that that sort of morbid sense that a lot of what we do in our very realistic world is built around our fear of death. It makes me think of all the behaviors, the instinctive behaviors that could not be easily overcome that are rooted in our mortality, that role-playing games do not really, at least role-playing games of the D&D variety, do not really do a very good job of of emulating very well. Hmm. In like in D&D, you know, nobody in real life or hardly anybody in real life would treat their health and their, their well-being, <laughs> you know, as a resource yes. to be spent and regained in the way that <laughs> D&D adventures do, you know? Yeah. No one in real life would be like, fine, I'll break my arm. You know, it's acceptable <laughs> to break my arm or to, you know, to, yeah. to shatter my rib cage, uh, it, you know, because I'll be healed later. You know, that wouldn't happen. Our instinctive mm-hmm. um, self-preservation instincts would keep us from doing all of the stuff that D&D Avengers are constantly yeah. jumping into. So we're already dealing with like an un, a highly unrealistic um, treatment of mortality mm-hmm. and yes i'm sure there are some daredevil real life people that like would do the sort of things D adventures do um, and treat their their body cavalierly as an expendable resource but 
Not most of us. No, not most of us. I don't know where I'm going with this. Just uh, No, that's just, that's yeah. a super good point. I mean, I think we, we talked about it a couple months ago on the show, but I, I'd cut my finger um, recently with a chisel when I was doing some woodworking. And like, like I think it was said at the time, it would be like the equivalent of one hit point maybe half of a hit point in yeah. a D and D game. And it was the most important thing to me in the world to not get hurt more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like let alone put like a rabid wolf in front of me or something like that. Like pick any of this, you know, CR one, a like enemies in the, the monster manual and put that in front of me. Like, I'm not going to fight that. No, like, yeah. not, not at all. I'm going to go the other way, you know, cause I have that self-preservation instinct. Um, but horror yeah. games yeah. horror games often introduce some of these things as mm-hmm. ways to emulate the genre of horror like so they'll introduce some mechanics for fear mm-hmm. or or maybe mechanics for panic or or whatever but the closest D ever gets is like rules that no one in the history of D has ever used which are like the morale rules for like <laughs> Yeah, uh, NPCs and monsters, and uh, like, and do you hear me? No one has ever used those rules. If yes. you're listening and you've used them, I just, I just don't believe you. Uh, uh, but, um, mm-hmm. and I don't want D and D to be, you know, D and D would stop being the fun thing it is if, like, an encounter with uh, a, a wandering wolf, you know, turned into this dumb thing where everybody's too scared or yeah. or, or nervous to approach. But um, mm-hmm. it does. There is sort of like a intensity of human experience that happens in mm-hmm. life or death situations that that D and most role-playing games don't don't really touch on yeah it's it's sort of like a, a, a setting of the stakes um whenever you sit down at the table because like a, like a real like if you were going for realism all you need to, to have in there to to make it like difficult in a realistic way would be like i don't know like you miss your bus and you're late to work like that's enough <laughs> that's enough yeah. tension for most people's day Right. Like, no. let, yeah, not like your village is burned down. Now, what are you going to do? Right. It's, it's like, it's all these very mundane stuff, you know? So then we have this, like this mechanic in all these games about like, and then your character can just vanish. Right. Cause you, you rolled real bad. Yeah. It's just, it's kind of, it's, it's an interesting thing to think about. Cause it's like without that threat, then you don't really want to play the game. But like when that actually happens, then it's really sad. And like we, <laughs> we kind of tie ourselves into not, not thinking about resurrection and other, other sorts of ways to handle it. Yeah, it, it does make me want to try to play play in a couple games where I treat my character a little bit more cavalierly and like push those boundaries a bit and see what happens when when it doesn't go well, right? Like uh-huh. like how bad is it, you know, if your character dies and you have to reroll? Is it that big of a deal? Because I think for a lot of players, it feels like it's a very big big hurdle to get over. And I think for a lot of GMs too, it's it's like you don't want to you don't want a total party kill. Like you don't like you just don't want that. It yeah. seems like that's that's a bad time, but like, what if that was just what if that was a more of an opportunity and everybody thought about it that way? Um, I yeah. think is 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 sort of a better way to frame it. Maybe if you're going to have that have that be part of it, or maybe it's just like it's just always got to be that threat on the table. <laughs> yeah, well, the way you describe it, I mean, it sounds you know, death is it is the ultimate kind of consequence. And in the same way that a lot of games that you and I like have eschewed binary success and total success and total failure as the only results you can get upon, mm-hmm. you know, attempting an action. I mean, death is sort of like that, too. You know, maybe maybe in the same way that games have gotten very creative with this idea of like failing forward, where the consequence of failing to jump over the wall or whatever is not that you 
just fall and die and can't ever try it again. But maybe something inter- you it doesn't work out the way you wanted. You know, it does something to move the story forward instead of shutting the story down. You know, in in a way, death is sort of the death of a character is sort of the ultimate shutdown. <laughs> you know, the ultimate shutting down of the game, right? Yeah. And so it would be interesting to see games. I don't even know exactly what it will look like, but um, you know, how do you keep the effectiveness of that? It is a it is an important consequence, you know. And knowing death is in all of the stories we read and and we love, the stakes, you know, are life and death. That's something that resonates really well with us, and it mm-hmm. resonates well in a game thing. But how do you have that stake of look? If you fail to stop the evil wizard, you will all die. How do you keep that intensity of that stake without the actual threat of you're all dead roll of new characters, you know, yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. And I'm also just rambling, but no, it's, it's like, yeah, failing forward or dying forward. It's like, you're, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, um, I have a quick question for you. Um, do you, in the games you've run in the last couple of years, do you have a discussion with players up front or early in the campaign where you talk about things like in my campaign, death is a very real consequence and, it's a deadly world and you should play your characters to the hilt because you never know hmm. when their time might be up. Or do you have a conversation where you're like, you know, nobody enjoys player death. So it's not really going to happen unless you approach me and say, I, <laughs> I have this idea for my character, you know, yeah. that I want them to die. And cause I think it would do this. My, my current campaign session zero, like I started this, you know, couple years ago at this point but in session zero it was it was more along the lines of like don't do anything stupid and we're not gonna have to deal with player death right Mm -hmm. like i I will warn you before you're stepping into a situation or you will have plenty of notice because your hit points are dwindling those sorts of things and i've even done things mechanically to sort of make that easier you know so like when they level up i don't make them roll you know roll their their hit die um Mm -hmm. for example to to get you know, to add their hit points, we just kind of take the maximum value that it could be uh, just somewhere, somewhere Gary Gygax just yeah. like spun. In his <laughs> no, yes. Yeah. Like everybody's like, well, now the game's totally Im- imbalanced. And like, yeah, it is. I, I I'm sorry. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not perfect at this, but like, yeah, like the, this is the story that we're telling. And yeah, but I think like through the conversations we've had on this podcast, and I think like this conversation in particular, whatever I play next, I think I want to, I want it to be a little bit like more hardcore, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. N- not necessarily like dark souls level <laughs> hardcore, but like, you know, somewhere in between here where it's uh, it is more of a natural part of it. Right. Cause like, certainly lots of the villains and lots of the monsters and stuff in, in the game that, you know, the campaign that I'm playing, they have died, you know, like I've rolled death saving throws for them and they've died. And like, there's a moment where it's like, Oh, okay. Well, that person is gone now, <laughs> right? But we all move, we all move on and stuff, right? So there's, there's sort of like that, that side of it. Yes, death is very real and stuff. It's not like they all, we have bonked them on the head and now they go back home, right? Like it's, it's, it's yeah. a death. But yeah, but on the, the player side, I mean, I think they, you know, they feel powerful and that's, that's fine for the, the setting that we're playing um, in right now. But yeah, I think I, I, I want to experiment with it because I think it, it could be a fun thing and I think it would, it'd make people think about their characters in a very different way. If they knew that it was like, this one is probably going to die. Cause so I think they would, it'd be a little bit faster to come up with a character and they might have one in their back pocket, those sorts of things as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that we're coming up on our time mm-hmm. here. One thing I wanted to mention that I don't think I'll ever get to, but in the category of like kind of 
dream campaigns that I every now and think would be fun to do. The afterlife campaign mm. has always been one that I've been interested in, like a campaign where there is a total party kill mm. and then you pick up that campaign in whatever the afterlife of your setting is. Um, I've heard of people doing this. It sounds really fun. It requires, you know, since it requires a total party kill, it's not, you know, something that comes up super often. Do you, you like start with it? You start with the total party kill or I think that would feel like cheating a little bit. Okay. Like I think it would be most interesting if you were, if everyone's enjoying their characters and everybody dies, it would be interesting to like pick yeah. that up where that is. Yeah. I mean, it all depends. I mean, it, that is dependent on the cosmology of your setting and all mm-hmm. sorts of stuff. But um, I know in like the early 2000s, um, Monty Cook published a, a kind of, I think, obscure at this point uh, campaign setting. It was like Ghost Walk or something like that. But <laughs> the idea of it was the setting was like this afterlife city that like dead adventurers wind up in Ooh. and you have, you know, ghostly adventures. I don't I I don't own it, so I don't remember. <laughs> I don't know all the details about it. But um, yeah. And there's whole game, you know, there's a couple of games that are specifically about playing dead characters like uh, Wraith the Oblivion mm-hmm. in like in edgelordy 1990s White Wolf fashion. Yeah. Uh, let's see, do that. It's a very well regarded game. There's a, there's some like fun campaign possibilities in that if you like your characters and you you don't want to just resurrect them back you... into the campaign setting like nothing's happened. Yeah, the that's yeah, it's super interesting. Yeah, just like kind of like take those same characters and cut them over to a totally different campaign. Yeah, another thought that had kind of occurred to me as we were talking is like, I wonder how a group of like 80 something folks in retirement homes would play D&D versus like the 20, 30 somethings or so that like often get actual play podcasts and stuff. I think like if if I had the money and the time and stuff, I would find like, you know, yeah, some people in a retirement home and like just kind of see how they play D anD D. I think it might be oh, quite a I bit different. I would love that. I would and, love that. And, and if this exists, someone tell me because I, I would love yeah. to see it. But I think it would be very fascinating because I think their concept of like of characters and probably like hanging out in town and death and all that would be quite a bit different. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I've I've had this thought when we celebrate like diversity when we see it in the gaming world, and mm-hmm. one part of like a really diverse community of gamers would be one where people of like all different ages and generations are speaking to it. And yeah. I mean, think about your different life priorities, right? Think about what motivates you now mm-hmm. compared to what motivated you like 20 years ago. Yeah. And then maybe 10 years before that, what motivate, you know, you know, I'm sort of middle age-ish and I would love, you know, I, I do think that you would get a really different experience. And I think, like it, the approach to mortality would certainly be mm-hmm. one of them, but it would be one of many different emphases that you would get um, mm-hmm. with like much older game gamers. Yeah. Yeah, so, so yeah, if 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 this this thing has something like this has yeah. to exist, there has to be a a, a podcaster out there that does this. <laughs> yeah. So someone write and tell us about this, please. Yeah. It also makes me think, and this would be like this is more of an art project than anything, is to to make some sort of like shortish campaign. And have a group of people play it like every every five to ten years or something like that, and just record yeah. it, you know, over time. And it's like and, and see how they kind of approach it from decade to decade. Just one of those like lifetime event sort of things. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it will be interesting. You know, if some of I don't know if um, the sort of YouTube 
online streamed gaming phenomenon is like a fad or if it's here to stay, yeah. but you know, we are building a historical record, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, you know, that to for look better back or for at worse. <laughs> in future years. Like, so yeah. in 20 years when we're all jacking into the interweb, you know, and yeah. doing our hollow holographic D and D or whatever. Uh, okay. Yeah. Very, very similar to how we're doing it now. Honestly. So, oh yeah. I mean, yeah. that's, that's just it. That's just every Tuesday in my yeah. world. All right. Well, this is definitely a sign that it's time to wrap up mm-hmm. um, this episode. Uh, Chris, um, we should note that um, pretty soon you mm-hmm. will be bowing out temporarily mm-hmm. um, for real life um, responsibilities. Yes. It will take you away from the podcast for um, a couple of weeks <laughs> yeah. or months. So, yes. Yeah. My wife uh, is going to have a baby pretty soon. Yeah. That uh, was which... me dancing. And I was like, suddenly like, I, <laughs> oh no, has, has he said he's going to have a baby? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe that's not something he wants to share. Yeah, I think so. so. I mean, I think we, we, again, we probably know most of the people who listen to the podcast. So I, I, I hope at this point, if you know me, <laughs> I've told you <laughs> yeah. that my wife is having a baby pretty soon. If not, surprise, this is how you're learning. Um, but yeah, so towards the end of the month um, is when it's expected to happen. But you never know um, when that'll happen. Yeah, so I will, I'll be gone for a couple months. It sounds like Andy's got a couple plans. We might rerun some old podcasts and stuff, but we'll be back um, at some point. Um, a, cu- you know, a couple plans is about right because I certainly don't have more than two. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it'll be, it'll be good. Um, but yeah. So, and then I'm looking forward to, you know, like after paternity leave and all that stuff is done, the world would be totally back to normal. Right. And so we'll all be able to just play our games. That's not true. It's never going back to normal. So <laughs> It's over, Chris. I hope yeah. you've enjoyed it up to this point. <laughs> you know, there's been some good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah. well uh with that i think we should wrap up uh yes. thank you for listening as always we really mm-hmm. appreciate uh, yeah appreciate you listening we appreciate it uh when you reach out to us uh, every now and then someone will uh, ping us on twitter or through mm-hmm. another channel and uh, we always appreciate hearing from you so please drop us a note if you have mm-hmm. any comments about the show and yeah. we will see you next time but uh without chris so i'll leave you in suspense as to what <laughs> what <laughs> Yes. What shape that's going to take. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Um, I've been Chris Salzman. I've been Andy Rao. Remember, if your player's having fun, you're a great GM. Mm-hmm.